Just a short passage of scripture today. I'll be reading verses 7 through 12. And let's see what the Lord might teach us here today. Amen? Try to put all distractions aside. This is part of worship, is listening to God's word. That's part, it's part of being a worshiper. Is to eagerly desire to hear, not the preacher, but the Lord. And the Lord's voice is in the scripture. In the preaching, but especially in the spirit who dwells in you. You have God, our teacher, living inside you. If you are in Christ. Dear Father in heaven, now we come to you and we want to continue in worship and I pray that you would help us to hear your voice in your word. I pray, Father, for everyone listening here in the room or at home that we would eagerly put distractions aside here in this room or wherever anyone is sitting and listening and we would worship by listening to the scriptures being expounded upon. I know there is absolutely zero power or worthiness in myself, but your word is awesome and it's what we need. And by your grace, you give it to us. Help us to listen. I pray, Lord God, if anyone's listening to this and they need to just be built up, edified, strengthened in some special way in their walk with you, that through your word you would bring it to them. I pray you'd rebuke us, correct us, encourage us, instruct us, give us knowledge, give us wisdom. Whatever you see in each one that is needed, we pray that you would do. If there is anyone listening who needs Christ, well, we know you're the only one who can do that. And we pray, Lord God, that the power of your spirit would convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and that through your love you would draw to yourself anyone who is yours that they might come to you and believe and be saved. In Jesus' name, Lord, gladly we pray. Amen. Verse 7 of Acts chapter 20. Let's read it. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, and broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, 
and they were not a little comforted. Yet, that's quite, a, that's quite an account, right? You've been at church every now and then and, and, and had something unusual happen. Count your blessings next time something doesn't go according to script in church. I was doing the Bible study online the other night, Thursday night. Some of you were watching that. More of you probably should. But you would have seen something quite interesting. I, I, I don't know how this happened, but, but uh, one of the fluorescent light bulbs while I was broadcasting went out. And so uh, I had to have Brother Bob come and uh, make some adjustments to the spotlights and everything else. And all I was thinking to myself was, you know, I'm on the Bible study, you know, for 45 minutes on Thursday night. The light is on all day. How is it possible that the light would go out, you know, right in the middle of the Bible study, you know, of all times? But that's what happened. Well, you know what? That's pretty small potatoes compared to a guy falling out the third story window and dying, right? I'd say so. But look, but look what it led to. It led to something amazing. I have to tell you, as I approach this passage of Scripture, I'm going to preach to you today, and I'm going to go through the passage like I always do, but I'll confess that what I'll preach to you today might seem to you be to be taking a little bit of creative license, if you will. Because... It's not a story that's heavy in theology, but it's included here. And it's just an interesting little fact for Luke, who is the author of Acts, the human author, to include for us. And I think if you kind of look at the events that are recorded here, there are little spiritual lessons all along the way. And I want to like draw your attention to some of those things because... Even if the sermon that I preach today, admittedly, is probably not going to be why Luke wrote this in the book of Acts, I think what you will see is uh, some lessons that are quite encouraging and quite applicable and maybe even corrective and maybe even to wake us up a little bit, right, Uh, in our walk. So y'all okay? You with me? Shake your head yes, because you really don't have any choice. All right, so... So let's, let's kind of go into this. And I want to start by saying that I think the, um, I think, am I allowed to say amusing? Do you, do you read the Bible and every now and then you find something to chuckle about a little bit, right? I mean, a guy falling out the third story window and dying isn't funny, right? But there, but there is one little fact, a little detail in all of this that, that maybe you're aware of, maybe you're not. And it, it, it kind of goes with the guy's name, right? The guy's name is Eutychus which is probably not a name you considered giving to any of your children. But, but the, the name Eutychus means fortunate, right? And so kind of everything I thought to myself as I was going through this passage was I was looking and going line by line through it and looking at all the ways that we're fortunate, right? Fortunate, what does it mean? It might evoke in your mind luck, all right? I don't think we're lucky in Christ. I think someone on the outside looking at the blessings that we have in Christ might say they're lucky. Others might look and say, why on earth are they following him? They have trouble in their lives all the time. The impressions of other people don't mean anything. But I don't believe like in luck per se. But but the end result of luck is what? It is that you receive goodness when you didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. 
which in other Christian terms we also know as what? Grace. Grace. And Eutychus, which means fortunate, was definitely the recipient of some special grace here today, wasn't he? And you and I have been the recipients of grace upon grace upon grace. Fanny picks the hymns and uh, she doesn't like necessarily text me and say, okay, now, now give me a hymn number that fits perfectly with what you're going to be preaching today. But, but, you know, Fanny rhymes with uncanny. And, 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 and Fanny, Fanny, Fanny has this uncanny way of like finding hymns that like fit you know, with what's uh, like going to, to come out of the word today. And, you know, we sang that hymn, Standing on the Promises. And there's a lot of promises that God has blessed us with because, simply because we're Eutychus. Not because we're, not because we're worthy. Not because we're good. Not because we can find things in ourselves that would, that would like, make us expect that a holy God that we have sinned against should be good to us. We don't have a bunch of things in our lives that should make us be able to say to God, but God, I thought you were this, and I, God, I thought you would do that, and God, can't you see what's going on? We don't have any right to say any of that to the Lord. What are we? We're, we're, we're all part of the all-time, worldwide through the ages, ultimate rebellion that has ever occurred. That humans have rebelled against their loving, holy, good creator. We are part of that. If you want to pat yourself on the back about something, pat yourself on the back that you're part of humanity's rebellion against God. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn. That's what we've earned. We've earned death. But because of God's goodness and because of God's grace, because of his undeserved, unearned, unmerited goodness and favor towards us, God made a way for us to be redeemed. That's through what Jesus did when he bore our sins on the cross and died and then rose from the dead. And on top of that, he's given us all these wonderful promises to stand on, stand on, stand on as we walk through this life, ultimately culminating in a new body, a place in his kingdom forever where there is no more sin, no more sadness, no more tears, no more death. Scripture even says that we're going to judge angels That's all grace. That's all grace. I picked out some things here now I want to point out to you. So you ready to receive this? Number one. It says that on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul was ready to depart the next day And he spoke to them and he continued his message until midnight. I could be really literal about that and, you know, say that the Lord wants me to preach until midnight. But I won't do that to you. But when you read that sentence, do you see how blessed we are? Do you see how Eutychus we are? You know, to be able to be part of, first of all, what? It was the first day of the week. There's a point to make about that. The the regular practice of the church 
was to meet on the first day of the week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to straight up read to you a couple of paragraphs here from John MacArthur's commentary on Acts. And uh, I, I, this is just so eloquently stated. So I've given you, I'm in point number one on my list, and point number one on my list gives you a John MacArthur list that has 10 points on it. But, but it only covers like a page. So listen to this, all right? This passage is the earliest recorded description of a Christian worship service. And several features are noteworthy. I won't read them all. But first, believers gathered together for worship, not on the Sabbath, which would have been the seventh day, right? But on the first day of the week, or what we would call Sunday, right? And despite the claims of some, Christians are not required to observe the Sabbath, as the following considerations reveal. So he says, first, although a day of rest and worship is demonstrated by God in the creation, the seventh day, Saturday, Sabbath, was given to Israel as a sign of the Mosaic covenant. Christians are under the new covenant, and they're not required to observe a sign that's associated with the Mosaic covenant, right? I mean, read the book of Galatians. It's all about circumcision, which was a sign associated with the Mosaic covenant. You can't justify yourself by any of that. Second, there's no command in the New Testament for Christians to observe the Sabbath. Third, even during the Mosaic economy, the Old Testament neither commanded the Gentile nations to observe the Sabbath, nor condemned them for failing to do so. That offers further proof that the Sabbath was given to Israel only. Uh, I won't go through them all, but I love this point. I've pointed it out before myself. In Acts chapter 15... You remember that? When they had the, uh, the council in Jerusalem and they wanted to know what to do about all of those gen- the, all these Gentiles who were getting saved and they composed a letter and look, if they were going to nail down that Gentile believers in Christ needed to observe the Sabbath, there was where they would have done it and they did not. You follow me? Yeah. All right. Uh, one more point from this list. In Colossians chapter 2, the Sabbath is described as a shadow of Christ. And since the shadow is no longer binding on us, because the substance, Christ, has come. Right? So anyway, I wanted to read that because I want you to see something here. We are blessed. We are blessed to be part of Christian fellowship. We are blessed to gather We gather on the first day of the week, which elsewhere scripture calls the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is a blessing from God. It is a blessing by which you are invited, commanded, yes, but really better than that, you're invited to come and to participate and be part of it. You ever like get upset because you hear of some social event that's going on and you wonder why you weren't invited to it? We've all been there, right? We probably all make bigger deals out of it than we should. The greatest thing in the world that you are invited to be part of is Lord's Day gathering of Christians to worship and to pray. And you know what? We loathe it sometimes. We come stumbling and bumbling in late. We take swaths of weeks off from doing it. It is the highest and greatest and most magnificent thing that goes on in this world. Do you know that? 
It really is true. Week after week after week after week, those who have been redeemed by the creator of the universe are invited to gather to meet with each other and to meet with him, to worship, to pray, to sing, to fellowship, and to receive instruction. It is the most magnificent and highest and most wonderful act of activities. And every believer is invited to be part of it. It says on the first day of the week when the, what? Disciples. God considers you, if you are in Christ, to be one of his disciples. A disciple is a student. A disciple is someone who looks at and listens to, looks at the example of and listens to the teaching of a teacher that they might learn the ways of that teacher. God considers you that and has redeemed you and left you here in this world to be that, that he might show the glory of himself to the world through you. And even if nobody else in the world is moved by it or cares by it or wants to mock it, it pleases him. It pleases him. He calls you a disciple. They come together to break bread. Do I, we just did this last week, right? Do, do I even need to really go into the glory of that? Before Jesus was crucified, Jesus, observing the Passover, took bread, gave it to his disciples and told them, this is my body. And he passed among them a cup of wine and said, this is my blood. He said, he said this is the blood of the new covenant. We just gloss over it because it's just like this religious thing. Or a lot of us grew up Catholic and it's just, it, it becomes like a, a sacrament, something we feel like an obligation to do, to like, to like earn some sort of grace before the Lord. Jesus, Jesus did this with his disciples. He's eating the Passover and then he takes the Passover, which is already a holy God-ordained thing among the Jewish people, and he just elevates it to something magnificent. And says, here's my body, and here's my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And so what we eat, it doesn't physically become that. I'm not going to go over all that today. But, but look, it represents, when we gather to eat that bread, it represents what he did for us. Amen. The fact that you were invited to partake in that is a show of God's love for you. Is a show of God's grace towards you. He calls you to remember him by breaking the bread and drinking the cup. You ought to mark your calendar every month for when the Lord's Supper is and just look forward to it. You should wake up on Sunday morning and be like, today's Lord's Supper day. Hallelujah that I get to eat. Listen, if you don't eat that bread and you don't eat that cup, you don't have any part with him. Because eating the bread and drinking the cup represents communion with the Son of God. You know what else they got to do? They got to listen to a sermon. They got to listen to a sermon from the Apostle Paul that was going on until midnight. Right? Wow. Can you imagine that? And, and listen, you'll see as you go through the passage here that God intended it to go on a lot longer than that. Right? One of the blessings of being able to gather 
is that we get to listen to God's word being read and being preached. And listen, we do it in freedom. We do it like, and we can kind of chill and relax, you know? There are places in the world where you take great risk to gather together, to listen to the Bible being preached and taught. And that's always been true. But one of the great blessings, one of the great Eutychus factors in your life is that you get to be part of gathering on the first day of the week, gathering on the Lord's day, being one of his disciples, gathering to break bread, gathering to listen to the word of God being preached. And that's why you get Hebrews chapter 10, that verse that we always come back to, those three verses. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. There's your call. Let us hold fast The confession of our hope. What's the confession of your hope? I have Christ and otherwise I am completely lost. Christ is my all in all. I have everlasting life through faith in Christ. I know I don't deserve it. I know I can never prove myself to God. But I have by his grace, by his gift, everlasting life. And whatever may come to me, no matter how much I stumble and bumble and fail and everything else, I am in his hands and he will carry me all the way to the end and deliver my soul. That is the confession of my hope. That there is, that there is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. For he who promised, standing on the promises, right? He who promised is faithful. He's faithful. And let us consider one another. That is, hold fast to the promises, hold fast to the confession of your hope, and think about each other. Care for one another. Let us consider one another Why? In order to stir up love and good works. Your role. People like looking for what's my gift? What am I called to do? What am I supposed to do in the church? You know, life as a Christian isn't measured by activities that you can like, like I'm this and I'm this and I do this and I do this and I do this. What this says here is that we are to gather and think about each other that we might stir up love. And stir up good works. Do you understand? Because we're called to do good with our lives. We're called to love one another. We're called to demonstrate to the world the truth of Christ by our love for one another. That happens when you gather. Which is why the next verse says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Like some people were already doing and still do. But exhorting one another. And look at that, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Blessing number one, fellow Eutychus, you get to be part of the fellowship. You get to be part of the church. You get to be part of the kingdom of God. 
You are part of what Jesus described as, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You get to be part of what Jesus described as, the kingdom of God is within you. You get to be part of what the Bible describes as the head of the church being Christ's body, Christ himself being the head. That's, that's privilege blessing number one. Number two. See how this goes? What happened? There were a lot of lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So they're gathered together in this upper room. And we're told as you go through the story that, that it's a third story, right? And we're told that there's a lot of lamps there, you see? Which means what? Not like lights like this, but lamps like torches, lamps that are literally actually burning flames. So if you're in an upper room and there's a lot of people gathered together and it's stuffy and it's nighttime and the sermon's going to go until midnight, right? And there's lamps burning, which makes the room even stuffier, maybe warmer. Right? And so what happens? This old Eutychus is sitting in the window because he probably wants some fresh air. And what does he do? He's out, man. He's out. Can you imagine falling asleep on the Apostle Paul? Some of us can very easily imagine falling asleep on Pastor Lou. Hard to imagine falling asleep on the Apostle Paul. But then again, Pastor Lou doesn't preach until midnight. He preaches till 11.30. In the morning, not in the evening. <laughs> so here's where maybe I take a little creative license. You ready? Here's where it becomes like allegorical. We do sometimes fall asleep, don't we? I don't mean sitting in church, though that happens. But I mean in our lives. Sometimes we fall asleep. We have to be careful to not fall asleep. And one of the blessings of our lives is that God knows how to wake us up. And He loves us. And He does. Sometimes God wakes us up because the Bible teaches that he loves us like children. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that he disciplines, he rebukes and chastens the one whom he loves. Right? And the Bible even says that if you're without that chastening in your lives, then you're not even really God's children. I mean, let's face it. The Bible teaches that we all have sin, right? And we say we have no sin. We're liars and the truth isn't in us. And God, being a loving father, doesn't just stand by and let us sin. God heaped the judgment and justice upon his own son to redeem us from our sin. Now, as a good and loving father, he disciplines us. Amen. Right? Let's hope that it doesn't have to come to severe discipline to wake us up from our sleep. This world lulls us to sleep. Fun lulls us to sleep. Recreation lulls us to sleep. Really poor, carnal, prioritizing lulls us to sleep. 
We make the things that really in the end are not going to be that important out to be the really critical things in our lives that we must do. And we put off to the side the things that in the end you will be judged for by the Lord Jesus Christ and treat them like they're secondary in life. That's, that's walking through life, snoring with your eyes open. Sometimes the way that he wakes us up is just by having his word preached. So listen, Romans thirteen eleven. Do this, do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. There's a principle that's true with every gets truer with every passing day. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Which is a descriptive way of saying wake up. Right? Night is over. Get up. Wake up. The day is at hand. That's not like prophetic looking at the day of the Lord. It's talking about today, now. As a Christian, wake up. Sleepy time is over. Wake up. Walk. Pray. Meditate on the word. Worship. Serve the Lord. The night's far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. There's your biblical wake-up call. Um, I quoted this before, but I'll read it to you. Don't be deceived. Listen to me. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. And don't sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. And if you know the context of 1 Corinthians, you know that the next sentence fits with it. I speak this to your shame. Let me read to you. You can turn with me if you want. In Matthew 26. I didn't print this out because I I wasn't sure if I would go to it, but I do want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. This is the garden, right? Jesus is in the garden before his crucifixion. It says Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee. That's James and John, the sons of thunder. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Stop, think. Stop, think. Think, 
Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, became exceedingly sorrowful in this moment. And so he asked his friends, stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, look at this. What? See it? What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And then here you go. The spiritual lesson for every one of us of why you must not fall asleep. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. May I say to you, one of the blessings of being a Christian is that the Lord commands us to that and then he makes sure he works it out in our lives. Peter woke up, didn't he? Peter woke up. Peter became the apostle, Peter. Peter became the one who, if you're at the men's fellowship yesterday, you know this. Peter became the one who warned other people, what? Be sober and be vigilant. So, so Je- Jesus is rebuking Peter because Peter fell asleep. And while he's laying there sleeping, he says, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Jesus worked mightily in his life and then Peter became the one who wrote to everyone else, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. First, first Peter 5.8. Right? One of the blessings of our lives is that our loving God, our loving Savior stays with us all along the way and is always encouraging us wake up watch pray wake up watch pray wake up watch pray he is very near to us we need to respond to that sovereign leading in our lives and examine ourselves examine how we walk Clean up your life. What a terrible thing for a Christian preacher to say. I mean it. Look at your life. And the stuff that's in your life that lulls you to sleep, get rid of it. And be awake and alert, watching and praying with vigilance as we serve our Lord. Okay? So... There's a window back in Acts 20. Eutychus sinks into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell from the third story window. Here's another little point for you. He fell. We fall. He fell hard. Sometimes we fall. And we even fall hard. 
when Eutychus fell, God saw to it that he was ministered to. When you and I fall, he doesn't forsake us. He doesn't give up on us. He's gracious to us. Hey, Brother John, you know what verses I'm about to read? Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by Yahweh. And he delights in his way. Listen to this. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Though he fall, he falls. Like Eutychus fell out of the window. He falls. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly, that is completely, totally eliminated and cast down. For Yahweh upholds him with his hand. That's one of the promises that you can stand on. Look, don't treat it the wrong way and treat that as some license to go out and fall. You stay close to the Lord and you walk close with the Lord. But one of the good things we know is our Lord is not one who redeems us. And then as we are just pressing and praying and seeking and serving, we mess up. He doesn't just kick us out. He stays with us. He is faithful to stay. We fall, but we aren't utterly cast down. He lifts us up with his hand. Hallelujah! Eutychus fell. That was number three. Number four. He died. You and I were dead. Eutychus was raised to life here. You and I were dead and we were raised to life. Do you know that? I think sometimes Christians don't get it. I think they just really think sometimes. I think a lot of people, I think there are a lot of people sitting in churches every Sunday or on the Sundays they choose to go. And they're sitting there and they don't get it. I believe pews are filled with people that are not regenerate. They're filled with dead people. The real Christian is someone who was dead. When Jesus, when, when, well, yes, Jesus, but when the Lord God in the Garden of Eden has Adam and Eve there, they're told to tend the garden. They're told they can eat whatever they want except this tree in the middle of the garden, right? The tree of the knowledge of good, of good and evil, right? What does he say? In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, right? They ate of it. They didn't physically die that day, but they died. You know what death they died? God banned them from his presence. That's the death that they died instantly. That expulsion from the presence of God is then the condition that every human being naturally comes into the world in. Alienated. 
completely alienated from the life of God because of sin. We are completely and totally depraved. A man will occasionally conjure up something good that makes other men look at him and say, wow, what a great guy. But before the majesty and the holiness and the perfection of God, we are completely and totally depraved and spiritually dead. In the gospel, in the gospel, by his power, he made us alive. Wow. Ephesians chapter 2. You, writing to Christians, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That used to be you. That used to, You were Adam and Eve, kicked out of the Garden of Eden, dead, but he made you alive. That's the power of the gospel. Among whom we, the dead world, we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God. You love when you're reading through scripture and you read something like that and you come to, but God. You know something good is coming, right? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. There you have it, fellow Eutychus. You didn't fall out of a third story window. You were dead before you even climbed up to the third story. Through the gospel, through bringing you to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, he made you alive. When Paul wrote to Titus, he put it like this. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, listen, Through the washing of regeneration. Right? Do you know what regeneration in in the basic sense of the word? If if I could remove it from the theology of regeneration. To regenerate means to give new life to something. We were dead in trespasses and sins and he made us alive. Through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom... Whom? That's the Holy Spirit. He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Eutychus, you better believe we are. You better believe we are. Fortunate. Not in the sense that it's lucky, but fortunate in the sense that we've been blessed with something that we did nothing to earn and deserve for ourselves. We were dead in trespasses and sins, just like Eutychus was when he fell out of that third story window. Just like Adam and Eve were when they ate that tree in the middle of the garden. We were dead spiritually, and he made us alive.
in the gospel. Man, if there's any one thing you you ought to walk away from here from today just jazzed about, it's that. I was dead, and now I'm alive. Hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah indeed. Next point. I, I, this, is, this is one of the neat parts of the story. Paul's preaching, and you get the sense when you read the story that Paul's trying to, like me, I'm standing here, I'm looking at the clock, and I can see it's 20 after 11. I'm trying to decide how much more of this do I want to do? Do I want to sing the last hymn? Are we going to sing? Listen, Paul's there at night and he knows he's going somewhere the next day, right? Let's face it. Did my battery just die again? These are like the worst batteries. I have more in my office. Can you grab me two more batteries? Thank you. you know, take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time. This happened Thursday night too. The light bulb went out. And now the battery's going out. Hey, wait, no, wait, wait, where's everybody going? No, 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 no. No, no, church isn't over yet. Hold on. These batteries are terrible, man. (laughs) That's right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're not out of the woods yet, brothers and sisters. Hold on. Hold on. Hello? Hello, 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 hello? There you go. All right. See? They were, it was dead, and now it's alive. (laughs) So Paul, Paul's going somewhere. Let's face it. If most of us were going on a trip tomorrow, we wouldn't be here today. Right? Oh, well, I'm going away tomorrow. I can't go to church today. Right? Let's face it. Right? That's how it often goes. Paul is like going to get on a ship and sail somewhere. And so he's preaching, trying to squeeze his message in before midnight. Right? He's a pretty extraordinary guy. Paul knew what it was to be dead and then be alive. Right? So listen. After this happens, Eutychus falls out of the window. And, you know, if anyone was like dozing off then, they weren't anymore. Right? He was overcome by sleep as Paul continued speaking, fell down from the third story, was taken up dead. He was dead. Right? Theologians argue about that. Some of them say it doesn't really mean... No, he was dead. Dead means dead. Right? So Paul went down, fell on him, meaning that he was laying on the ground and Paul got down and embraced him while he was on the ground. And embracing him, he said, don't trouble yourselves for your life is in him. His, or no, for her, his life is in him. In other words, he was resurrected. Right? This is a resurrection. This is a miracle. Right? So it's a miracle. So Paul, he falls down, he's dead. Paul goes down, gets down, embraces him and tells him, don't worry about him, he's alive. Now, what's the result of it? When he had come up, broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak he departed. Suddenly, the service that was going to go until midnight went all the way through the night until daybreak. Right? 
So when are we going to get out of here became, we're in this for tonight. And I think probably at that point, after seeing, I hope that nobody, after they saw someone die and rise from the dead, was like, okay, well, I got to get going, you know. Pretty amazing, right? Um, I wasn't quite sure how to title this point, but here's what I came up with. God inhabits our fellowship. When we gather together, he's with us. You know what the Great Commission is, right? We know the parts of the Great Commission that are the practical command. Go into the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I commanded you. But did you know that that meat of what the Great Commission is is sandwiched between two slices of bread that sound like this? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. And on the other end, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, Christ calls us to fellowship. Christ calls us to service. Christ calls us to be his body. Christ calls us, through all of that, to make disciples. But it's based on the fact that all authority in heaven... And on earth, the God-man, Jesus Christ, right? Heaven and earth. All authority in heaven is his, all authority on earth is his. So he says, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And after he says that, he closes it by saying what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just as God invaded that fellowship, Because Paul was teaching and preaching and they were breaking bread and they were getting sleepy, man. But you know what? Jesus was like, this is good. This is going to go on. And in his sovereignty, the Lord intervened with this fantastic, wonderful miracle which made the fellowship go through the night to the next morning. The Lord inhabits the fellowship of his people, brothers and sisters. We gather in his name, but we gather with him. He is in us. He is the head of the church. Here's your Eutychus moment. We, we are so blessed because when we gather, isn't that just some religion? Some obligation. I have time. I haven't been there in a while. I'll go check it out. No, we're gathering with Jesus himself. It's a meeting of his saints overseen by him himself. You saw that clearly in the meeting that Paul was in. Do you see it in the meetings that we're in? You should. He's here. He is with us. He is in us. His kingdom is in you. You are his body. Your own physical body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from Christ in you. It ought to make you like raise the value of fellowship in your mind really high to know that the Lord inhabits it, man. Look, I started the sermon by saying that one of the greatest, not one of, the greatest thing that happens in the world is that on a regular basis, there is this kingdom that's invisible. And they meet everywhere, all over the world, in different places. And they worship a king they've never seen with their eyes. 
but who lives in them. You believe that? You believe you're part of that? You're privileged to get to be part of that. Let's not forget the other part of that. He is in it too. You're in it, but he's in it too. We, why do you think we gather and we sing? Because we believe he hears. Why do you think we pray? Because we believe he hears. Why do you think we conduct ourselves properly and orderly? Because we believe he sees and he listens and he watches and he receives from his people worship and praise. He's here. He's everywhere, but he's here. Lastly, so they fellowship till daybreak. They bring the young man in alive and they were not, what, a little comforted. To say they were not a little comforted is to also say they were very comforted. To say not a little is the same thing as saying a lot. They were a lot comforted. Right? We're told there he's a young man. Right? We were told in verse 9 he's a young man. We're twice told he's a young guy. So this young guy died, but he's raised and he's alive. And he's right there and he's sitting there. And they were really comforted by that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all, in all our tribulations. That we, ready? It doesn't end there. He does that, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. He comforts us, that we may be able to comfort one another. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's 2 Corinthians, the opening of the book. Chapter 1, verses 3-4. through four. He is the God of all comfort. He comforts us. And then by giving us comfort, expects us to comfort one another with the same comfort. It's one of the Eutychus moments of your life. That in Christ, are you fortunate? Are you blessed? You bet. Our God comforts us. It doesn't say he removes all trouble. It doesn't say that he shields us from all trouble. It doesn't say that he takes away all trouble. It says he comforts you in the midst of the trouble. Which may I suggest to you is better. Isn't it? I mean, I mean, isn't the other way a fantasy? A life with no trouble? The richest people in the world are filled with troubles. What we have in Christ is not a trouble-free life. We have a comfort-filled life that is greater than and exceeds the power of the trouble over your soul. Six things that make us Eutychus. We get to be part of the gathering. He blesses us by calling us out of sleep. He does not abandon us when we fall. He has raised us from death to life. He inhabits our fellowship and he comforts us so we can comfort one another. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for this time. Thank you for this word. Thank you for these things. I confess freely in front of you and before these people that probably not classic exposition today and and uh, maybe not originally why, Luke, you had him write this in here, but, but it's there for a reason and you taught us some stuff today and you comforted us and, and I pray, Lord, we would receive the lessons however they're intended to reach each one of us, Lord, please. Correct us, comfort us, edify us, that we may glorify you. Mm-hmm. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.